Namaste everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bharatvarta podcast. Agriculture employs about 50% of our country and yet it produces about 15% or so of GDP. Uh industry which is often positioned as an alternative to uh, agriculture and there's an either or debate often that happens, right? Uh employs about 25 to 30% of the population and produces around the same percentage point of uh, GDP. Uh it's often said that there's a huge scope for improvement in both of these right agriculture and industry uh and a major hindrance to this is that you know our laws are archaic uh and it's just easier to uh, give out doles and sops than to really reform things at a more fundamental level right that's what's been happening so far uh but in light of uh, prime minister modi's asking states to undertake more fundamental reforms we've seen a few states step forward and pioneer some massive agriculture and labor reforms which could have some long standing effects on uh, these states and the country itself uh, to discuss this with me today i have uh, ashish chandorkar who hails from mp a state that is implementing some of these reforms and someone you've heard from uh, before on many different topics as well uh, hi ashish welcome back i okay, carry thank you uh we also have another returning guest uh, rajiv mantri who's an investor and a writer and uh, he speaks fairly frequently on economic affairs on the podcast hi rajiv good to have you hi carry thanks to have thanks that have have you to participate uh and finally we have vivek uh, kaitan who's making his debut today uh, so vivek was a business consultant in a previous life uh, and has since been an entrepreneur in the pharma space hi vivek good to have you Hi Gary thanks for having me All right uh, guys so let's uh, dive right in uh, Ashish you've written extensively about you know uh, how MP's agriculture growth over the last 8 uh, 10 years especially has been tremendous right uh, help us understand some of these uh, new reforms that uh, you know chief minister shivraj singh uh, chauhan has initiated and you know how this kind of ties with the previous reforms as well yeah so uh, the reforms which have been currently taken uh, up in the last week carry are the market reforms uh, essentially in indian agriculture each state has got a agriculture produce marketing committee or apmc kind of a structure where uh, the rules say that the farmers living in a given area can sell their produce only to the nearby mandi and these mandis are governed by the uh, apmcs uh the officials of whom are uh, uh, generally political appointees or uh, local strongmen who have uh, used that as a vehicle to uh, uh, run their political ambitions uh these middlemen have had a huge uh, uh, control over the whole agri agri marketing and agri selling network and the rules have been quite prohibitive so far what mp is doing is they are, uh, mp is uh, removing the apmc control completely by saying that the farmers can now sell their produce anywhere in the state and actually outside the state as well to sell outside the state they have to uh, use the e uh, national agriculture market platform or enam which was launched in 2016 by pm modi um, the, the there is a single trading license now across the state so even a trader who buys something from the farmer can also sell the produce anywhere in the in the country through that single trading uh, sorry in, in the state through the trading single trading license so now the, the 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 matching of demand and supply is disconnected from the mandi as an intermediary 
that is one thing. The so, second thing is any location, like for example, a warehouse or uh, cold storage, can now be designated as a mandi. So, uh, like these are private mandis which can take a license and then start working. Now, let's say if you have an excess produce of a crop which you will otherwise throw on. I mean, we get so many videos where farmers are throwing tomatoes or potatoes and so on. Uh, now these farmers can go to a warehouse and either sell it to them, uh, and, and and then the then the warehouse owner can essentially do a trade later on after the demand comes back, or the farmer can pay the uh, warehouse to store the goods still in the mandi structure and then take the goods back after paying off a fee. So I think some of these changes are fairly radical in in the way farmers approach the market. Also, bulk buyers or individual buyers can now go to the farmers and buy uh, from the farmers directly, like from the farm gate. So, uh, as the modern trade becomes more common and as organized retail becomes more common, uh, you will find many more buyers going to the farm gates or to the doorsteps to actually source directly from the farmers. Uh, which also means that small farmers or medium-sized farmers can also come together to farm uh, to form uh, farmer. Uh, FPOs, farmer produce organizations, who can, uh, which can uh, uh, collectively market uh, a, a given crop uh, to other states or to or to large buyers, where the individual farmers' headache of selling it to the to the mandi trader uh, goes away. So I think there's a fundamental change in the way uh, farmers right. can now sell their produce, uh, and I think that's that's a fairly major reform, probably the biggest reform uh, in in agriculture sector since the inception uh, of of our constitution. Yeah. So UP has uh, undertaken something similar as well, right? I mean, doing away with the uh, mandis and uh, you know, uh, initiating cold storages and stuff like that. Uh, yes, Gary. So UP has done uh, fairly similar. Uh, UP has also done another thing, which is that uh, what what UP has done is they are saying the forty six fruits and vegetables can be sold anywhere. The the mandi intervention is not needed. They can go to a building society. They can go to a individual buyer and sell. Set up a stall in a city. Uh, whatever is permitted in a given city, and so on. So I think that's another additional feature in the UP uh, structure. Uh, otherwise, fairly similar to what uh, MP has done. So I think this, these are big changes for two states which are heavily uh, agriculture dependent and uh, which are big rural economies. Right. So Rajiv, uh, how does it all benefit farmers? I mean, obviously, removing middlemen and you know all of these redundant structures in between means that you know farmers uh, have sort of direct access to consumers and so on. Uh, but what is the larger significance that you see? So, uh, Carrie, let's look at the farmer as a business person, and imagine uh, uh, if any business person is forced to sell in a certain way, uh, whether or not that uh, method is efficient, whether or not that method is productive, but uh, just because of uh, government rules, you are forcing someone to sell through a certain channel and. everything else is kind of made illegal uh so you can imagine how that will breed uh, all kinds of issues uh and uh, uh, like the the mistake i think we often make is that we don't see the farmer as someone who's trying to sell a product we we kind of infantilize the farmer we kind of romanticize the farmer that oh yeah. he's a farmer and let's protect them and do this for them and that for them but but giving them a certain freedom of this type that you know you sell where you want where you want you form these kind of fpos and sell collectively if you want uh those kind of flexibilities and bringing a certain fluidity 
to the sale of produce from farmer onwards will bring more dynamism to the market right right because there is this sort of a stereotype of you know the poor farmer uh, and so on right and uh, you know even though there are significant uh, percentage of the vote base as such they continue to kind of remain underserved or you know i mean possibly because of that i mean they are sort of uh, kept that way right so uh, being helped through sops and doles rather than you know adding significant value in the ecosystem uh, to really help yeah, them yeah so right? so let's free them up let's free them and exactly. and see what happens uh, we've seen the old way we've seen the apmc way mm-hmm. and uh, you know despite that there were farmer there was farmers distress uh, you know there, there is the frequent narrative in the media as well about suicides among farmers even though uh if you normalize the suicide rate to the normal population's suicide rate it may or may not be excessive but but still you know that it's not that the uh, old system was preventing something or there was prosperity among farmers because of the old system that's not really the case yeah so no, so 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 it's important to break from the past and uh, as a uh, just thinking from a, a businessman's hat if if you release uh or uh free up farmers to distribute in a new way through more channels it will probably benefit them right and uh, food is such a fundamental product right i mean <laughs> so yeah i mean vivek you had something to say i yes carry see if you look at from the historical perspective as to how these apmc acts came into being and what were the rationale behind it you would see india as a newly independent country did not really have very well functioning markets due to ravages of british colonialism and a lot of these structures were put in place in order to enable farmers to give them market access etc now over a period of time they have outlived their utility long back if you see the life of a farmer uh, everything about their Uh, to use rajiv's term business is controlled whether it is input prices output prices from where they can buy their uh, inputs uh, uh, whether it is seeds whether it is pesticides whether it is fertilizers whether it is uh, power that they need for their pumps whether it is water availability everything has massive government control and similarly on the output side apmc had been exercising inordinate amount of control on farmers and finally we are seeing some winds of change whereby uh, uh, at least the output side of of uh, of the uh, f- farmers business is getting freed to some extent uh, i also believe that uh, this change may actually germinate a lot of new businesses in the sense that a lot of new as businesses would be directly able to approach farmers in order to buy their produce they'll be able to form cooperatives of farmers uh, in order to enable them to sell at a higher price uh, by cutting out middlemen in between and uh, a lot of indian startups should actually be excited about this reforms because it allows them a true in into an industry which had been heavily regulated right from the time of independence i just to add one point here uh, echoing what rajiv and vivek were saying the the ultimate intent of this reform is that we will start to look at agriculture as a business uh, we don't have to uh, patronize our uh, rural populace uh we don't have to think of them as someone that government needs to do something specific i mean of course we should support in terms of whatever the uh input support is needed uh, to to keep it viable 
but to develop it as a business and to have people succeed in that area like any other industry i think this reform will be quite crucial uh, it then leads to the fact then can you tax agri income and so on i think these are questions which will get solved not immediately but maybe over the next 10 15 years but i think this is a step in the right direction that it uh, frees up agriculture from uh, maibap type uh, you know view which the governments have and brings it closer to a real business yeah and uh, to my mind right i mean this is something that is uh, uh, right on a plateau for technology right if you look at what technology solves for or has typically solved for right uh, something like information asymmetry or optimizing supply chains uh, uh, and so on right uh, so rajiv i mean can you sort of imagine that like an amazon or a flipkart for you know farm produce as such no certainly i think uh, as vivek mentioned uh, imagine this is a whole distribution pathway that is now open for new entrants yeah exactly so so earlier so earlier uh, like uh, an entire product category was off limits you know it could only be sold in a certain way and now uh, in a few states that is being allowed to be sold in more ways so uh, naturally there will be uh, entities companies which will try to uh, play in that area because it's a very large category right i mean food and food products are a very large category so uh, there will be all kinds of uh, i think unexpected new ideas being tried out uh, probably specialist companies coming up which will enter the space and uh, all told you know the the businessman the business person who is the farmer they will have more avenues uh, to sell their uh, wares so so it is going to be very interesting to uh, watch how this evolves right so another key aspect uh, you know that we want to discuss uh, is this slew of uh, re- labor reforms as such that have also happened right in uh, places like up mp again uh, and gujarat and so on uh, right uh, so ashish you want to talk about uh, this maybe summarize uh, some of these reforms for our listeners Yeah, let me talk about the MP reforms, and then we can talk about UP and Gujarat separately. See the way uh, the approach MP has taken uh, is basically uh, to say that the certain certain acts which today govern uh, both the central acts and the state acts, the way they govern uh, the industrial sector, uh, they will be fundamentally changed. So, for example, Factories Act 1948, which is a big uh, part of our uh, overall labor ecosystem. Uh, it will only apply to f- factories which are 50 people and more or or establishments establishments which are 50 people and more so this frees up um, the smaller companies uh, gives more flexibility to them in terms of how they organize their workspaces their wages the labor entry and exit criteria and so on uh, so uh, this will apply to all companies new or old doesn't matter so uh, so so it's a fairly fundamental change in the way uh, mp has taken up the factories act reform there's also the industrial dispute act so what mp is saying is that for uh, new companies which set up in the state uh, one barring one section section 25 which deals with uh, the employee i mean the hiring and firing and the treatment of uh, workers around unionization barring that one area um, the uh, law will not apply for the first 3 years for the new companies which come in now uh, i suspect that the three year window has been chosen because the the, ex- the states expect the center to do a code on labor relations by then 
so then anyway that law will become redundant as a whole uh, in well i mean not redundant but like a new easier law will come through from the center uh, over those three years so uh, then a lot of state acts which mp had in terms of contributing for uh, some welfare funds and making some very specific requirements uh, uh, as per the state laws i think a lot of them have been done away with the registration process is also getting much and uh, uh, getting more simpler in 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 mp like uh, they are promising a one day registration for any new business currently which might take 30 days so registration by the way also uh, means that permissions around electricity and land and all of that will also be, uh, become quicker so the government is promising that they will make it all online and one day registration and if it doesn't get registered then there will be escalations against why someone has not approved it so there'll be an escalation path available for the companies to follow in case things don't get done in one day. Uh, also around inspections, very importantly, what MP is now saying is that a lot of the inspections which the labor laws mandate can be self-certified. So you can hire a third-party agency, you can pay that agency for certification or uh, an audit, like you would do an audit firm or a, uh, I mean, in any other like services industry does basically, and the third party then uh, certifies that the safety features or the factories etc are all in place the audit frequency is more flexible uh, labor commissioners will not have a lot of uh, say in terms of how this process runs uh, this is currently a big source of harassment for a lot of companies like in factories act uh, there could be some arbitrary requirements around uh, let's say having a spittoon or having a clothesline or having you know like some uh, certain kind of ventilation etc like which could be very archaic in their own formulation uh, how india used to be around when the law was created in 1948. So I think a lot of that will uh, go away. Um, the, the other part is that the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 I mean, the, the changes which MP is making, I mean, of course, all changes, all state laws have to be approved by the central government and then by the president of India. But MP has made fundamental changes to the laws as such it applies to all new and old companies. So uh, it is not just for new entrants. It's basically just cleaning up the entire slate and making it much simpler for the smaller companies. So less than 50 people companies and MP will can really thrive now because their compliance burden is going to reduce like big time, both in terms of the actual filings and also in terms of the inspections or the questions which are, which they are being asked. The large companies will still have to follow the factories act 50 people or more. But then of course, as we know, a lot of our, I mean, only about, uh, I would say a fraction of companies would fall under that bucket would be 15, 20%. Uh, not sure about the MPs number. But very few co uh, companies will actually fall in that bucket to start off. And even there, the the like, uh, for example, today they might have to maintain some 60 registers and 13, 13, 14 annual filings on or declarations. So that would be all reduced to like one annual filing and one one single registered on all topics which need to be covered. So uh, I think it's much more. Uh, it's it's a big simplification which MP government has brought in. And um, of course, the aim here is that companies which are moving out of China or potentially yeah. uh, trying to duplicate uh, some capacity if they are adopting a China plus one strategy. So some of them come and set up an MP. MP already has three industrial zones. One is near Indore, which is called Pithampur. There's one Mandideep near Bhopal and there's one near Kualier. So uh, there are three industrial zones already which have got uh, okay connectivity to ports and road could be better. But uh, so, so it's not like MP will start on a completely clean slate in terms of the availability of land and other other factors. So I think the labor part is, is a key key reform which MP has brought in. Right. 
So another state that's uh, also doing that is Uttar Pradesh, and we've covered some of the development that's happened there in a previous uh, episode. Uh, I'm sure we'll link that on our uh, social media soon, right? Uh, so UP has uh, exempted, I think, all but uh, four uh, labor laws uh, for the following three years. Uh, so Vivek, as an entrepreneur, what is your perspective on this? I'm sure that you know you have been through the, you know. Uh, entire, uh, you know, the, the filing or inspection and all of that, and you know how much of a nightmare that can be, right? Uh, so, as an entrepreneur, what is your perspective on this? Yes, Gary. Uh, before I actually give you an overview of, you know, what my journey has been as an entrepreneur dealing with labor laws in India, let me try and summarize the historical perspective as to how these, you know, labor laws are constructed the way that we see it today. Uh, I mean, if you, I, I'll go back again about 100 years back. So one of the starting, uh, you know, interventions that Mahatma Gandhi did in India was the strike in Ahmedabad Sarabhai Mills. And from then on, it has been an agitationist mindset, which, which sort of took root in India and continued post-independence as well, which led to drafting of and obviously the influence of the left parties in India in the initial days of uh, of, of independent India, which led to drafting of, of a lot of toxic laws, which prevented India's rise for a long, long time. Uh, even the reforms which came in over the period of last 30 years barely touched many aspects of the labor law reform that was required in India. Uh, uh, as a as a counterpoint, if you see there are industries where some of the labor laws are not applicable and those industries, for example, IT has risen very, very fast, but the traditional manufacturing and services sector has not risen as fast in India, simply because a lot of these toxic labor laws are still in place. Now, conceptually, I mean, these changes are coming now with the hope that this is going to lead to a renaissance in Indian manufacturing, especially, right? Now, uh, one has to ask the question conceptually, if abeyance or suspension for some period of these laws are going to lead to that, why has it not been permanent for a long, long time? If uh, for, for any law like labor law to be applicable, you need to have people on whom you can apply, right? Which means that businesses have to exist. They have to flourish. Uh, now, for a business to flourish, you need entrepreneurs, you need investors, you need uh, the the management to be there, you need uh, uh, the workers to be there, right? If you tilt the balance in favor of just one entity at the expense of others, then obviously businesses don't flourish, which is what we have seen in India. Uh, so uh, it's a very, very welcome change which is coming, even if it is for a short period, uh, even if it is through an ordinance which may or may not pass the muster of courts, and that's something that, that we will have to sort of see as to how that story develops, whether these are actually implemented on the ground or actually remains on the paper only. But these are exciting times, uh, even if it is forced due to, uh, you know, worldwide pandemic uh, uh, to, to, to enable, uh, uh, you know, uh, Indian businesses to, to be back on track. Uh, as far as UP is concerned, I'll, I'll come to, you know, uh, some of the specific changes which have been brought in. Uh, a lot of changes which uh, Ashish talked about, which has been brought in MP, the changes in UP are along similar lines. Apart from some of the laws around bonded labor, safety and regulations, and payment of timely wages and minimum wages, etc., all the other laws have been put in abeyance uh, for a period of three years, uh, which is applicable to both existing as well as new industries. 
now if you see this uh, in up especially this uh, noida greater noida belt is one of the most exciting emerging manufacturing destinations within india and uh, these labor laws uh, are going to support uh, the efforts of the government to bring in the migrating supply chains into into uh, i mean supply chains which are migrating out of china into india so uh, from that perspective these are welcome changes uh, what it actually is going to achieve on the ground in terms of implementation remains to be seen right yeah and uh, even the gujarat government as well right which has been usually friendly to industry as well um, announced that you know i mean for except for about three basic acts uh, for about 1200 days uh, there won't be any other labor laws that will be applicable right and uh, uh, i think one of the things that uh, uh, vijay rupani who is the cm of the state also said was uh, that at present a large number of these uh, industries uh, you know from us europe elsewhere are willing to shift their production to china uh, from china to other countries right uh, so in that sense this whole you know post covid state that we are living in right has acted as a forcing function for that uh, rajiv uh, you want to delve on the nuances of this on you know how we can possibly attract investment away from china sure so uh, clearly this is on the minds of many companies uh, to add uh one or more other options in addition to china for their production bases and uh, one thing that has been holding india back as uh, vivek mentioned for many many years now many decades now actually other labor laws and uh, in fact uh, uh, if you if you look at the structure of uh, the manufacturing sector in india you will find that the landscape is dotted by kind of uh, tiny very small enterprises and these are very sub scale these are not able to compete so so uh, just as much as we want to attract the companies that are looking at uh, diversifying from china i think even for india to build up its own manufacturing uh, base like an export base to create jobs and so on and so forth it it was actually extremely necessary to relax some of these uh, labor laws which were which were frankly uh, preventing employment not protecting employees so so uh, you know the, the, when, when there is no employment whom whom i going to protect uh, and uh, uh, and obviously with the rising population people are not able, not able to get jobs and agriculture becomes like a sink pool for anyone uh, who's trying to make a living uh, so so uh, the 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 uh, heartening thing about the changes to the labor laws are it gives indian manufacturing a chance to sort of grow uh because uh, some certain types of labor intensive manufacturing simply cannot scale up in the existence with the existence of these laws and uh, in addition to that we should be able to attract uh, some of the industri- industries that are looking looking to diversify from china and you know both these things put together will probably create many jobs in india potentially right so there is also this critique that you know by suspending all these laws uh, you know for a certain period of time uh, uh, you know even though these might be some of these might be archaic and you know they might be redundant structures as such it's akin to kind of throwing the baby out with the bath water right uh, so ashish what do you have to say to that kind of criticism so can you let's examine the differences between what mp up and gujarat have done right so i think mp's ordinance or the proposed changes to the laws seem 
like a conventional legal i mean legislative process which will go now go to the i mean of course the assembly will ratify it but then it will also go to the central government and to the president of india in up's case there are two questions to look at one is that uh, is it a, only applicable for new companies or also old companies i think the prevalent view when the first announcement happened was that this is only for the new companies now if you see some of the commentary which has come out since then and i would i'll point to two of them which is one is by uh gautam chikarmane and rishi agarwal on orf yesterday and uh, the second one by somesh jha and business standard i think they are now saying that the the supplies to the old uh, to all the companies so basically we are saying that there will be no labor laws at all for the next 3 years in up uh this is one uh, area of confusion or so i mean the way ordinance is being interpreted is there are no going to be no labor laws at all now now the question is is this drafted in a bit of a hurry because then what happens to stuff like pf uh, yeah. you know es uh, esic uh, what about retirement funds will they dissolve will it be with the government can i get it back you know stuff like that uh, around base laws around basic safety in factories and uh, laws around maternity i think some of those questions are like is child labor now allowed because that's since it's no longer applicable so is that now government is saying is it allowed so i think those questions are being asked so my sense is that the ordinance of up will potentially go through some changes it will need some fine tuning around what exactly do they intend to do uh, the gujarat one i have not seen the draft of or any report on so i'm not very sure about the gujarat uh, situation if there's any confusion there but as it appears the mp1 seems to be the most grounded one and it should certainly pass the legal scrutiny without any uh, without much of a difficulty uh, to the extent that like okay i mean now, now let's assume that they are all let's say ups waived off this completely right for uh, for all industries is is that a good thing i would say that certain basic things are need to be clarified especially around you know the, the, this three aspects around how to uh, i mean protecting women and child uh, workers uh, the uh, the retirees part of it because in india that's a big uh, part of formalization of employment i mean you cannot take away your retirement money and of course i'm sure the government doesn't intend to take away the, the retirement fund it's just that the ordinance is drafted that way and the third thing is on the uh, safety and welfare aspect i think these three areas will probably have to be i should say backtracked or clarified in the ordinance before it goes to delhi uh, otherwise even the central government may not approve uh, it as as is uh, potentially uh, so uh, the rest of it now coming to the more theoretical or the more philosophical aspect of you know should we do this at all now the thing is let's consider a few data points firstly i mean india uh, about what 15% of the gdp is industry right so the labor laws clearly haven't helped india scale it, scale things up uh conversely where labor laws were more flexibly interpreted like in the services industry or in say the pharma uh, world uh india has actually made a mark right so these are the two sectors where india does have global companies or a global footprint at least so so there is an argument here that uh, assuming all things staying equal uh, a, a more relaxed interpretation of labor laws do, does help in india that is one the second part is that the labor laws today apply only to the organized workforce which is by various estimates between 6 and 10% so let's say if it's 10% then 90% of the people are anyway not in the purview of labor laws so whatever you are critiquing the changes for the fact is it doesn't apply to 90% of indians even today so uh, the, a lot of times what happens is in india the uh, again as to to use the term which uh, rajiv used it's like infantilizing the the the, the poorer section or the weaker section right so i mean here people who are themselves very cozy and very relaxed about the things or who are knowledgeable about laws are not trying to say uh, you know keep people out of the 
the net by making laws so difficult that no one follows them uh so i think that is the, those are the philosophical counterpoints i would say that uh, uh, i mean the, the the there's an evidence of uh, laxer laws leading to growth and the uh, world leading growth not just growth and secondly uh, the the fact is that uh, actually if you the laws are because uh, laws are made less uh, restrictive then they could actually be more formalization which will benefit more workers because today anyway 90% are out of the net so i think there's a but that's the counterpoint from my side no and i'll also add one more thing to that carry so we do have some evidence of what happens in a state when labor laws are relaxed so uh, in the 2018 2019 economic survey so uh, there was the uh, data about rajasthan obviously rajasthan had liberalized labor laws under vasundhara raje sindhya uh, back in 2015 i think if i remember correctly and in 2019 uh, the economic survey had done an analysis of uh, you know how that affected the msme manufacturing sector in rajasthan and they found that the firm sizes actually increased in terms of the number of workers they are employing so relaxing uh, labor laws actually helped firms grow bigger uh, and it created new jobs so so we do have a data point in that sense and even on the comparison with china i think i think uh, conventionally people tend to view china as some sort of a monolith but uh, the reality is that china in fact is a is a, a very very decentralized country and different regions different provinces uh, kind of compete heavily with each other to attract investment to uh, bring uh, sort of uh, uh, manufacturing firms and so on and and uh, we should also remember that it is just a few provinces of china which have kind of powered their uh, dynamic and pretty incredible rise in the last 25 years it's mainly the coastal sort of region right. so 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 in the same way uh, you know the way india has gone and now there are three four states who are relaxing labor laws uh, it, it could also uh, be a kind of a sufficient condition for things to start moving because it will it will essentially create a prisoner's dilemma situation among the states where if you want investment you also better compete right and uh, you know how many of these uh, labor laws actually benefit the workers you know i mean uh, vivek i mean do you want to talk about this i mean uh, aside from you know the women and child protection laws obviously right uh, how many of these laws actually you know uh, help them uh, progress as such yes uh, you see so one of the things which these labor laws do in india especially is that it divides workforce into organized workforce and unorganized workforce and organized workforce yeah, is very very so small and the impression that is sought to be created is that these labor laws at least somehow benefit the organized workforce who are covered by these labor laws right now you see the construction of these laws in itself is very very antagonistic between workers and and, and let's say uh, investors owners of who are who have set up these businesses Uh, which is not true anybody who has worked in business understands that the conflicting uh, uh, relationship does not exist for any successful business right it's it's very very small uh, but the whole construction of law is around antagonism between between these two sets of people uh, that's one it's a you great see, point some of the some of the details now the heuristically when you say let's let's take an example of minimum wage now heuristically anybody who has not studied the subject 
uh, feels that this is something whereby a floor wage is mandated for workers uh, uh, you know uh, so that they don't get paid anything less than that and there is some protection around that but when you look at the actual laws i mean let's take an example of just one state in india which is let's say karnataka which has perhaps got the most detailed minimum wage laws in india uh, just to give you you know one or two examples uh, it defines something like 100 plus industries uh, it defines different zones within the state it defines different skill levels and if you add up all of that the number of minimum wages defined in one state in india will be 1000 plus wow. whereas uh, if you see uh, the actual minimum wage in karnataka varies between 8000 and 11000 rupees now within that 3000 rupees difference they have been able to construct 1000 minimum wages now just imagine uh, who who benefits from that there are only two sets of people who benefit from this this scene which is bureaucrats the consultants and the inspectors that's all correct absolutely mind boggling as to how this kind of situation has been allowed uh, to exist now how these industry classifications have done now very very interesting uh, agriculture has got some you know multiple classifications uh so bd manufacturing is a different industry under minimum wage law tobacco processing is a different industry under minimum wage law now a driver driving a lorry draws a different minimum wage compared to a driver driving a jeep <laughs> or a car i mean it's absolutely uh, uh insane to imagine what kind of minimum wage laws exist in india and it is howsoever educated and smart you may be you will simply not be able to figure out for your own industry wherever you are working as to what is the minimum wage which is applicable to you unless you take the help of inspectors and consultants yeah and consultants uh, of course they they stand to gain irrespective right the more the laws i mean obviously it benefits uh, uh, them as well to help make sense of this Rajiv just a general question to you when will uh, you know uh, lawmakers in india start looking at entrepreneurs or businessmen or or you know wealth creators as a positive influence uh, you know i mean even in uh, even if you talk about right, so called right wing governments right i mean they're not essentially economically right many would argue right so how you know what will it take for governments to start looking at uh, these set of people as well favorably well uh, i think i think we've we have uh, seen a little bit of that in the last few years carry uh, so if you see the prime minister's recent speeches i think uh, independence day independence day speech last year he had explicitly said this uh, then earlier this year the economic survey had some excellent sort of uh, uh, writing and analysis on the importance of wealth creation how it sort of increases incomes in a country and so on so so we have seen a little bit of that but but the sad reality is you know for so many decades there has been a demonization of uh, business and of anyone you know as they say punjipati uh, as if it's a terrible thing uh, so it it will take some time to shake off and uh, uh, frankly uh, to be brutally honest Uh, much of the business business community in the country over the over the last 5 7 decades you know they they are also not all sort of uh, fully clean right so the number of scams that we have seen the number of uh, 
kind of loan defaults and uh, siphoning of money and those kind of episodes that have come even in the last uh, decade alone uh, all this sort of gives to the common person an impression that all businessmen are crooks so so there is a deep distrust and you know bridging bridging this kind of a, a, a distrust uh, is going to be a i think long drawn process yeah i mean carry on. go ahead ashish now carry on the just on the labor codes themselves right so i think we should also appreciate that the there's been a attempt to consolidate all these uh, 50 or i think i think it's is it 46 or that 76 or central laws into four different codes uh the code on wages which has already been passed so and th- th- despite this code as vivek said there are there could be like hundreds of minimum wages in a in a given state because state's law uh, overrides some of this as well the there's there are three other codes code on social security code on industrial relations and the code on occupational safety health and working conditions so these are actually already been in, uh, introduced in lok sabha uh, and i think they are at a various various stages of approvals so i think one one way to look at this is that the states are looking at a three year horizon because they expect that these laws to be i mean these courts to become laws in three years time so that basically then a central uh, you know uh, umbrella is there to to reintroduce the protection in various ways so i think some of the criticism also has to be taken into that light that the the the, the, the there's a there's a transitory period which the states are trying to create where things are lax and then in three years things may have some basic minimum oversight like you would have in other countries uh, to i think to, to, to rajiv's point i think the the biggest uh, element however that remains to be solved by the governments is the whole question of trust i think the companies uh, the companies are generally seen as uh, some someone who's doing something hanky panky they are not they are never assumed to be doing something right and um, the the amount of management it needs Uh, on the political side, uh, in any state across any government, uh, the the lot of connections which are needed to get simple things done. I think though that is what uh, eventually we have to get rid of to make uh, things work in India. No, and 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 even even uh, if we just see in the last uh, decade, you know, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, some weeks ago, I, I I found like an old copy of the Business Standard uh, billionaire list from two thousand seven, and uh, if you go through that list. and the number of people who have fallen or been exposed as uh, you know being involved in some kind of scam or the other it is just shocking uh, these were some of the most iconic sort of business houses and industrialists and uh, uh, one after the other in, in the course of a decade uh, they have found themselves entangled in all kinds of odious uh, situations so so there is a good reason why in a country like ours uh there is a suspicion and uh, i think i think leaders uh the business community itself sort of a lot of people have to work to bridge this trust gap yeah i mean definitely uh no doubt about that uh vivek we want to end on a positive note so why don't you suggest some ideas uh, for business growth uh, along the lines that you know what we have discussed uh, thus far <laughs> Yes. So, as Ashish and Rajiv both said, the trust deficit is perhaps the biggest impediment that businesses in India face, because they are believed to be doing some hanky panky uh, all the time, right? So, I think uh, as as a as an overall approach, one of the things that political leadership in India can do is to simply fight this mindset and uh, actually 
place the distrust on the inspector raz rather than the businesses so one of the ways in which that could be done perhaps would be to simply hack away on all the inspections which are supposed uh, which which a business is supposed to undergo i mean a manufacturing uh, uh, business in india may have to undergo something like you know 40 to 50 inspections a year if 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 all the inspections actually fall in the same year right so uh, one of the one of the things that uh, regulations need to do is to simply simply wave them off uh, which which we have seen uh, getting started with labor laws in india hopefully this will lead to concretizing of some of these gains which are being made uh, the labor law suspension uh, or abeyance uh, as as it has been brought about will be something that will get concretized into you know common sense uh, in india and not just remain something which happens only in two or three states but actually happens across india yeah that's a, i mean that's a great note to end on uh, as optimistic as ever i suppose uh, so thanks so much uh, for joining us on this uh, podcast guys it was really really fascinating to listen to you guys uh, so thank you everyone also for uh, tuning in to listen to this episode uh, of the bharatvarta podcast Uh, we're now available on a bunch of uh, different platforms: uh, Anchor or FM, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and others. Uh, if you like this episode, uh, please subscribe uh, and share this as well with your family and friends. Uh, we're also on YouTube. I'm informed. <laughs> so there you go. That's another channel for you to check us out on. So until next time, please stay safe. Uh, take care of yourselves. Jai Hind.